Welcome into the week two recap and look ahead to week three of the college football season episode. It's Nick Shepkowski, Pete Futek with you, the college football news podcast as always. Pete, not a lot of get not a lot of great games to look at in week three. So I guess we'll just uh, look back and recap week two for hours on end. We have Iowa, Iowa State coming up, and we have Big Ant Heron who's going to come up with us a little bit later. He's Mr. Iowa. I think he's wearing probably 12 pieces of Iowa paraphernalia as we speak. So he'll be on a little bit to get into that game. But you're right. This is a really, really light week compared to well, even last week, at least the big games up top. But there's just not a lot there to go off of. All right. So if that's the case, if week three stinks in terms of paper games or games on paper anyway, we should at least try to make some money off of it, right? Like, is that a good idea? Is that logical? You're trying to, to make money off of anything anyway. You're right. You're, you're the man. You're the businessman compared to me. You think better about things like that than I do. But, yes, if we're going to do this with week three and a slew of what seem to be a lot of bad games. We'll try to make it profitable with you with our first 12-team parlay as the College Football News Podcast here in a little bit. And we'll get it right. All 12, 12 for 12. And now, I dogged this week, but this is always the type of thing where we always say, oh, there's nothing happening this week. And then, like, Alabama loses or something dumb happens or Syracuse decides to play and beat Clemson. There's always, whenever you think, oh, there's nothing happening this week, something happens and it changes up everything. Yeah, something does happen. Something happened this weekend, too. Uh, number one team in the country, the Clemson Tigers, play like just that. They blow the doors off of Texas A&M. I know how big of a Texas A&M guy you were they didn't going Blow their doors off. They yes, played they okay. Did. They didn't even play that well, and they easily won that game. It was never in doubt the whole second I, half. Texas A&M was sleepy. I, I couldn't get it. They, I know they were trying to play stall ball and go really slow, but there was no, there was no energy. It, it was last year's game. They were, you know, flying around. They had this, this sense of. Uh, purpose but there was just nothing it's just kind of like and eh, we're out here we're gonna lose and we'll go home they're just it, I, it couldn't get their lack of energy level it hurt hurt that kellen mond couldn't complete a forward pass but uh that was that was a rough performance by texas a&m but give clemson credit and now that's it for the season now we don't have to pay attention to clemson again until the acc championship because they play nobody from here on yeah, they, they don't, and who knows if they play even a ranked team. I mean, they play a nothing schedule. The ACC has not exactly turned a whole lot of heads. Kellen yeah, Mond get was, ready for this. Get, get ready for the argument by UCF and saying, wait a minute here, you dogged us the last two years, saying, nah, you can't get in the college football playoffs. We didn't play a good schedule. Well, what's this? If, if Texas A&M loses to, to, like, LSU and Alabama and they maybe drop, like, one other game along the way and go 8-4 and four and they're not ranked, there's a chance that Clemson ends this regular season with no wins over ranked teams. Yeah, it's realistic. Um, I know we can probably talk on Clemson for a long time. They didn't seem like, I think you're right, they didn't seem as crisp as maybe you'd expect a Clemson team to. But, hey, that's a defense that was still in shutdown mode the entire game against uh, Texas A&M. Until the fourth down play, which helped get the spread up past the 16 and a half. And I loved how much both coaches cared about the spreads, obviously trying to to be seen better in the eyes of their backers and the people that are paying the bills and uh, making all the big donations in Aggieland and in Clemson. That was a beautiful moment. It was an all-time moment in terms of covering. Wasn't Kellen Mond supposed to be better at this point? He's he just didn't play well. He it was off. He was missing everybody. I That's couldn't his believe story, that. Though. He, yeah, and that, that that was the reason. That was kind of my caveat. I actually picked Texas A&M to win. I'm like, oh, okay. If Kellen Mond plays great, and he wasn't. He wasn't good. 
Yeah, so we put Clemson in the college football playoff. Not that we didn't already have them there. Texas A&M, maybe you're looking at a 9-3, and 8-4 season somewhere in there. The other game that had huge ramifications nationally, uh, you have a new Heisman Trophy frontrunner. I think there's a name that's been put up there with the other two that you already knew. It's LSU winning the shootout on Saturday night in Austin, Texas. One of the better out-of-conference games you're going to see. Yeah, that was an entertaining game, and it was LSU's big moment to say that they are in a, this national championship mix. Where there's right now, it looks like, I, with all due respect to the you know, Wisconsin's of the world, they're blowing everyone out. There's six teams that are true college football playoff national championship contenders. There's Clemson, Alabama, uh, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State. And now LSU, I mean, that team's got the guys. It's now got the offense. It's got the talent on both sides of the ball. That team can absolutely get in that tournament and win it, which now makes it interesting. I, I know we're going a million steps ahead of this here, but to the point of the schedule, okay, Clemson, that was your one win. What happens if LSU just obliterates Texas A&M? Let's say they blow them out by like 45 or something, and their only loss of the year is to Alabama. Alabama goes 13-0, and Ohio State goes 13-0, and and Oklahoma rips through everybody and goes 13-0. and who gets left out? There's, there could be a whole. It's not going to happen. It always works out, but this could be a whole lot of fun if everyone plays chalk. Yeah, it would be. Uh, LSU. Tell me why they're not the most impressive team in the country two weeks in. They also gave up 400 yards or something like that to okay, Sam Ellinger. That's it's, a good point. It's they are. They're very impressive. I mean, Wisconsin's the most impressive team, but they haven't played anybody. Uh, that's this has been. I mean, and give the give Clemson credit too. They did beat Georgia Tech. They did beat a great Texas A&M team. So they they do get. But that's it. Again, that's they, from here on. They need to blow out everyone by fifty because there's just nothing left on the schedule. Alabama, I has kind of a quiet uh, business-like approach. I know it's Duke. I know it's New Mexico State, uh, but that's we're, they're just doing performance art. I mean, that's they're just doing this with such ease at this point. Yeah, they are, and they're also complaining about having to play their September 21st game on against Southern Miss. Oh, dear God, Alabama, welcome to how the rest of the college football world does things and plays things. You have to play a game at 11 a.m. local time. My thoughts and prayers are with everyone, our guy Ryan Fowler included, for having to watch their college football team at 11 a.m. Dear God, the humanity going on in Tuscaloosa. You're making everyone wake up early. What else are they going to do with the rest of their day? It's because after the game's over by eleven fifteen, and then they have to have fun something to do. Oh, well, maybe but they Southern should. Southern Miss has a defense. Maybe they'll make it interesting. Maybe that'll be what throws them off a little bit. Yeah, maybe doubtful. Yeah. I'm uh, not going to hold my breath thinking of that. Did you, I saw this because a lot of people, Alabama wise, Nick Saban not happy about having to play at eleven a.m. Since he's taken over as head coach, they've only played two true road games against out of conference foes. The last one coming in September of twenty eleven. To, I, I'm a little bit of an apologist on this because they have a played a lot of neutral site games. Okay. You're right, they don't do, they, but no SEC team really does the road thing all that well. But they did. But look, over the years they've played a, a really good Wisconsin team, uh, neutral site. Florida State was supposed to be awesome last year. Louisville was supposed to be good last year and wasn't. Uh, there was a, but uh, I, I want to say there was a Virginia Tech in there somewhere. They, they they've at least not played a whole bunch of cupcakes. They at least played restaurant quality teams along the way uh okay this year duke it's eh. 
but uh, they've, they've played teams to start the season, so I'm not going to dog them too much for that. Eh, sort of, but they know when they play in Atlanta every year to open up the year that that's going to be a 90% pro-Bama crowd. It just happens to be not instead of in a college stadium, it's taking place in one of the nicest venues in the NFL. So if they played in Chapel Hill this year, then Duke gets them? Well, if they played Chapel Hill, uh, Durham. I was going to say, if they played in Chapel Hill, that'd be an odd uh, situation there with uh, playing on North Carolina's campus. No, I'm not saying they get them. It's just they don't even schedule it. They don't even, like, they don't even go and schedule that kind of game. And I guess that's the the part that I find. Why do they get away with it if seemingly no one else would? Clemson and A&M, they schedule a home. I, I guess you don't have to, and you're still great. I'm not knocking them as a program of saying, like, yeah, they're not great. They, no, they win or they are in Look, the title they, every damn year. At the end year. of the day, they still have to play Texas A&M. They still have to play LSU. They still have to play Auburn. You look at the rest of their schedule. They Again, I'm not going to dog them for anything on their schedule because they're going to play tougher schedule than you know, than anybody. Look at, again, look at Clemson. Clemson just beat Texas A&M. That's great. Now beat LSU. Now beat Auburn. Now beat the Mississippi States of the world. It's the same UCF argument. And darn it, I'm, pl- I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm applying it to Clemson already. Play someone better. <laughs> they scheduled your Texas A&M team that you had being outstanding this season. Yes, but as we all know, anybody, even the UCFs of the world can win one game. Now, it's the going through the gauntlet of the SEC West or the Big Ten East. You're right about that part of it. It's, it's, I'm turning yes. into a UCF guy now. That's I'm gonna scary. Have to like, I'm going to make the UCF argument for the rest of the season when it comes to Clemson. I, UCF is finding themselves in decent, decent position, though, because all of a sudden that Stanford game, after what happened to them this past weekend against uh, against USC, the tides are turning on that schedule. It's looking like UCF. Pretty damn favorable for them. Stanford, and then they have to go to Pitt, and then they still have to deal with some American Athletic Conference teams that are probably at the end of the day going to be ranked, and there is a reasonable shot that at the end of the year, both UCF and Boise State will have played and beaten more ranked teams than Clemson will. Oh, boy. So if it's a resume thing or a reputation thing, then is what Obviously, there's no chance that uh, Clemson gets left out of the college football playoff. Correct. You're supposed to, if you're really doing this right, at the end of the day, you're you're supposed to say, okay, last year didn't exist. We didn't see 44-16. We didn't see anything else. We're supposed to take this just on resumes, and then Clemson doesn't pass. But of course it gets in. Of course, if it goes 13-0, it is the number one seed in the college football playoff, no matter what the schedule is. You're right about that part of it. Uh, Some other things here to look at. Takeaways from week number two, because this week three, the dreadful amount of games coming up here, we're going to preview some of them and get in some conversation about some of them here coming up. Um, I know you were Mr. Michigan all offseason long, and I tried to warn you against that. Uh, Did they lose? They didn't lose, but what are you doing against Army? What do you mean, what's the problem? Shea Patterson looks like an eighth-grade quarterback against Army. He looks awful. That looked bad. I'm, I, I hate sounding like an apologist because I hate I, I hate defending Michigan on anything, uh, but I'm going to. Army, Army's weird. You know, Army just takes it takes everyone out of their game. They have that knuckleball that nobody can hit, and they hold the ball for nine minute drives, and then it makes the offense try to rush a little bit, and they looked off and awful. They in that game you won, survive in advance. Just get out, you get out of that. Oklahoma had that game last year, and they turned out to be fine in terms of the Big 12 and getting the college football playoff. I'm not ready to to say it again. However, to your point from earlier in the season, we were talking. Michigan State's got an offense now. 
if Brian Lewerke does that, then forget about Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan. And now you got Maryland who's bombing away on everyone. This Big Ten East is looking amazing going forward. Yeah, Penn State, uh, their halftime score was a little concerning the other night against Buffalo, but they erupt for a bunch of points. Never I, in doubt on that 30 and a half. <laughs> right? Like, but the Michigan State thing, how much of that's I mean, that offense still against Tulsa last week was brutal. This week against Western Michigan, it, it I mean, of course, I'm one of those that had the under in that game because I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, Michigan State, their offense was nothing special against Tulsa. It's going to be the same And you were right way. to do so. Yeah, and then they, of course, go out and put up, what, a 42 or 49 spot up and almost cover the uh, – go over by themselves. Like, how good is that offense? Like, is that a – because I had Michigan State – I don't know what to buy in terms of what I've seen from them offensively. I know that defense is fantastic. I know that defense is going to be – very tough to score on for the entire Big Ten East. Have you seen enough offensively what they did against Western Michigan? Yeah, to as long as they're not awful. And that's all you were asking for last year. You had a it's national true. championship caliber defense last year that didn't allow a thing. They shut down that Oregon team cold. They shut down everybody cold. But they couldn't score more than seven points a game late in the season. So as long as they're just not totally miserable, then yeah, that's a that's definitely a team that could beat anybody on this schedule. Yeah, they're, they're tough games coming up here. I mean, at Northwestern, they had struggles with That's them last game. year. Um, I mean, it's been a tough game traditionally for them. At Ohio State on October 5th, that's a place they've gone and won before. Then they ca- they, they counter that the next week at Wisconsin, so that's not a fun couple of weeks to start off October. Then they get a bye week, Penn State, another bye week to get healthy and get fresh. Illinois, then at Michigan the middle of November. At Rutgers in Maryland, not exactly the hardest of uh, hardest of finishes, but hey, Maryland, Maryland. squeezing the hell What's out of Syracuse. Yes, Mar- Maryland was a team that uh, I, I didn't understand why that number changed so quickly like it did and went from being a, a Syracuse two or two and a half point favorite in that one to almost overnight being a Maryland two and a half point favorite and yeah for good reason because the Terrapins scored How and scored all Maryland day. opening up at minus four against Temple this week it came out as the NFL started it was almost like Vegas was trying to sneak it out there and see what who was going to bite on it but Maryland minus four went up to Maryland minus eight pretty much within about 30 seconds. Uh, the, the world, whoever, anybody who saw this just jumped on and just hammered the hell out of it as soon as they possibly could. He's Pete Futek. I'm Nick Shepkowski. And Anthony Heron, you know, covers the Big Ten for SiriusXM, covers a Pac-12 for the Pac-12 network. Watches all kinds of college and pro football. You look up on a TV in the Midwest, you see his smiling mug at looking at you talking college football, and he's kind enough to join us now as the former Hawkeye breaks down the Cy-Hawk rivalry with us. What's up, Big Ant? Jeff, Pete, what's up, man? It's Cy-Hawk week. I'm ready. I've been wearing all my Hawkeye garb all day. i got to find somebody to headbutt just to make sure I get my game face on by this weekend, but it is an exciting time to be an Iowa fan because Matt Campbell is still winless against Kirk Ferentz. So how much do you care as an Iowa fan, an Iowa former player, and a Hawkeye and wearing the paraphernalia that you are about this game compared to other big rivalries that Iowa Iowa uh, has to play, like the, the Minnesotas of the world, Wisconsin's? Uh, like, where where does this one rank up there? You know what? Like, when I, when I first got to Iowa, Hayden Fry was my coach. I had Hayden from my first two years, Kirk from my last two years. 
And Hayden did a really nice job of pretty much immediately kind of ingraining in us that Iowa State is to be the hated rival. And it didn't kind of take too long for me to really get on board with that. My very first game I ever played against Iowa State, they, I want to say, did they, I think they came to Kinnick. And I was backing up this All-American defensive end, a guy named Jared DeVries, my true freshman year. So JD comes out of the game. I roll into the game. Very first series I've ever played against Iowa State. I go out there, and it's probably, I don't know, third down or getting ready to get off the field or whatever. They run the ball. I think they converted like a short third down. And some offensive linemen just gave me a little extra shove, as big, ugly guys tend to do on that side of the ball. And I just whipped around and hauled off and swung a haymaker at his head, just in the middle of a big pile of people, whole stadium is watching and everything, referee standing right there. That's a different time in the late 90s. I mean, just for swinging at a guy with a closed fist, you can get kicked out of a game today. Back then, the fact that I missed was enough that I didn't get disqualified from the game, but my defensive line coach immediately pulled me back out, and he and Hayden Fry were just standing there with this crazed look in their eyes just trying to figure out what in the hell this kid was just doing out there against the Cyclones. But it's got a different tenor to it than most of the other, even the in-conference, the Big Ten opponents that the Hawkeyes tend to face. It kind of now that you're a grown man, though, and mature in, in your ways, you have a lovely family, a child, it, can you admit now that punching someone in the helmet with a fist is probably about as dumb as it gets? Well, that's the thing. It's almost like a, a road rage type situation. Like when you fight <laughs> on a football field and everybody's fully padded up with helmets on, it's kind of like how people just drive through traffic and you feel really, really tough and you really get angry at people really quickly because you're encased in all this metal and glass and you feel like you're safe really even though you're not i think that's kind of what the football fight thing tends to turn into you haul off and hit a guy in the helmet because you know you're really not going to do any damage to them and when you really get angry that's where you have certain situations where maybe you're trying to rip the equipment off of somebody so you can really get at it but if you just punch someone in the helmet they're not really that upset it's just more of a reaction Okay, we're going to get your thoughts on this game and how it plays out actually on the field here coming up. Going to, going to ask you a little bit about Kirk Ferentz, too, because he's a guy that's been there forever, and it's just consistency, consistency, consistency with him and that Iowa program. Uh, you do work at the Pac-12 network, though, and the Pac-12 having a rough go yet again on the national stage. As someone that sees it each and every week, how do you kind of evaluate that conference? Is it like it is from afar? Is it how USC goes, it goes? What are your impressions, what you've seen here early on in this 2019 Pac-12 season? Well, it's certainly helpful that USC has been ranked now by the AP poll a couple of weeks into the season. The expectations for the Trojans, I was telling folks, I had higher hopes for USC this season than a lot of other people did. I did think that it was going to be a recovery, a bounce back, sort of year, and even though JT Daniels has been lost for the season with the ACL injury, I've been really impressed, uh, surprisingly so, because you know having a true freshman quarterback step in for a true sophomore quarterback who started last season, I really didn't know anything about uh, Keaton Slovis, and at this point, through a game, now you know folks are making Sam Darnold comparisons about you know what he's looking like when he's out there on the field, and I understand why. He was extremely impressive, a live arm, handled the Stanford defense that looked great against Northwestern's offense the week before, and Slovis went in there and lit it up, and the offense moved in the manner that folks have been hoping Graham Harrell's air raid attack would move with the weapons that USC has at receiver. So that's certainly something that boosts the conference to a certain extent to be able to count on a true freshman to perform at that level throughout the entire season, especially as folks get more film on USC's version of the air raid 
on Slovis himself as a quarterback, then I don't know how long USC will be able to maintain it, especially against a really rugged schedule they have. You know, you just look at the first half of their season through six games. A lot of folks are thinking they may be lucky to, to win two of the games. So the fact they started 2-0 and is a great thing for the Trojans. The conference as a whole, top to bottom, though, you know, Oregon, I had them in week two. I was curious to see what they would look like after the disappointment of their week one defeat they suffered right at the end of the game against Auburn. I mean, a game where Oregon outplayed Auburn for, for well, you know, well, three and a half-ish quarters. Oregon was just For 58 minutes they outplayed them. Auburn. Yeah, I mean, they, they did. And then, for whatever reason, Auburn, they, they got it together, they got their act together, and they made the plays at the end. But for the Ducks, they look great in week two, like you would hope they look against Nevada. I've got them again this week on the Pac-12 Network. They should look great and dominant again, you would think, against Montana. It was their approach to it that I was impressed by those guys. They, they looked angry. They looked frustrated. They took all that frustration out on Nevada. So we'll see. That same tenor, that same temperament, if that stays with them throughout the rest of the season, then I don't think Oregon has eliminated themselves from the college football playoff picture yet because – season opening game, the nation was watching, and folks saw them outplay Auburn throughout the scope of that game. So as long as the Tigers are great the rest of this season, and maybe if Auburn is only a one- or two-loss team at the end of the year, that'll bode well for Oregon if Oregon wins out and looks dominant in doing it. How do you fix UCLA? I, I still got confidence that Chip Kelly's going to get something going with that program. When you look at the way – they were such a better team at the, the second half of the season last year than they were in the first half. But I've still got hopes that we're going to see a different version of UCLA as things move forward here. They haven't recruited well, as you guys know. But Chip didn't necessarily get you know blockbuster recruits in while he was at Oregon either. He wasn't a guy you know, rolling in top ten classes every season. Now, the college football game has changed now. It's a bit of a different sport. He doesn't have the schematic advantage that he had back then because everyone is running tempo and spread and read options, RPOs, all the things that he made famous while he was going to national championship games with the Ducks. But the guy can still coach. And I think as long as, you know, they've got new facilities in UCLA, he does need a higher brand of recruit than what he has right now. And I believe combining that, combining just even a little bit better recruiting classes with some of the experience that he's getting on the field right now with last season, a bunch of true freshmen out there playing, a redshirt freshman. This year, still a bunch of underclassmen on the field for him, namely quarterback and DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. So if he combines that over the next year or so, I think he's going to have experience and some enhanced recruiting. Chip Kelly's still a guy that, to me, I believe will be able to make UCLA into a competent program who not only is making bowl games but can be in that South Division championship picture – that's just not going to happen this season, though. Speaking of programs that are those consistent teams, those that uh, Chip Kelly usually had, at least his pre-UCLA days, Iowa, a team that went to the Rose Bowl a few years ago, it's like you look up every year and it's, all right, yep, another 8-5, and 9-4, and four, sometimes a 12-win team like they were a couple years ago. You played on Kirk Ferentz's first couple of teams as an Iowa Hawkeye. What is it about him? What is it that kind of sets the tone for that program? Because like, it is a model of consistency. It doesn't always get as much hype, but it seems like they're always good for one big upset a year, and they're always playing into November, late into November, with a chance to go to Indianapolis on the line. And you use that word consistency, Chef. That's the perfect word just to describe Kirk, what he brings to the table, what his temperament is that he, you know, sort of just has his team engendered throughout the season with them as well. Because you don't see Iowa teams that are kind of really up 
they're really down or one week they play great and they blow someone out and then the following week you don't know what to expect. You get a pretty consistent brand of football from the Hawkeyes and it's because Kirk is so consistent with his approach to the team, with how he coaches and how he drives guys, with how he motivates and just his attitude overall. He, he never gets his attitude too high or too low with things. But this season, you know, you could have had a, the potential for that with some of the talent that was lost to the National Football League. Of course, the two early tight ends who left and going to the first round, and Hawkinson and Fance. Then you have on the defensive side of the ball, you lose guys in the secondary and up front on the defensive line. So there, there could have been some, some concerns that Iowa could have had for losing key players, and especially the key players they lost early. Iowa was not a program that historically under Kirk Ferentz has lost that many guys early to the NFL draft. So it could have sapped their depth. But just through a couple of weeks of this season, we've seen Nate Stanley play some of the best football of his career up to this point. That's a great thing. They were really excited about the wide receiver core, and you're seeing why at this point. Because Nate Stanley, a third-year starter, has been able to spread the ball around to a lot of different guys at receiver. And there were young running backs who were all freshmen last season. They're sophomores now. So the weapons that they're deploying right now on offense have been looking really good. And defensively, that defensive front that lost some NFL talent last year, they're really rounding its form nicely. So Kirk is Mr. Consistency. There is a bit of that new Kirk vibe to him over the last few years where son Brian has taken over the offense. He's allowed them to go for more fourth downs. One of my old teammates, LeVar Woods, is the special teams coordinator now. You're seeing more special teams fakes from the Hawkeyes. So there is a more aggressive temperament that Kirk is allowing the, the team to be coached with, the schemes to be run with. So it is a slightly different brand of Iowa football than what we've seen historically. So then, Mr. Hawkeye yourself, with this game, I don't know, the point spreads are damn near even on this. It's a toss-up, but who's going to win this Iowa State-Iowa going to Ames? Iowa State coming off of the bye. How do you handicap this? How do you handicap the Iowa Hawkeyes' chances in the Big Ten in 2019? Well, I certainly don't count my chickens just because of the fact that Iowa State narrowly beat Northern Iowa in the first game. It was just a three-point win that they had there in overtime. And, you know, Northern Iowa is a program who's competed pretty strongly against both Iowa State and Iowa over the years. Mark Farley does a nice job with that program. And all the in-state aspects of it is, is something that seems to give a, an emotional edge to, you know, whoever ends up coming out on the, on the high end of that. But I think for Iowa State coming off a of bye week, that's going to be big for them. It gives them the opportunity to lick some emotional wounds and try to get their act together because this is the first time under Matt Campbell where, you know, he was rumored for big jobs. Like, all right, is he going to be the next Ohio State coach? And, you know, are there other big jobs that Matt Campbell should be pursuing? So now he's on the national landscape in his program coming into the season ranked in the top 25. It's the first time that this version of Iowa State football has had to deal with real expectations. They didn't deal with it too well in week one. It's got a bit of a harsh glare sometimes. You really don't know what to expect from folks that are looking for big things from you. So I would anticipate that having college game day showing up in Ames and what that's going to mean for the level of excitement they're going to have out there on the field. Iowa State is going to, they're going to throw some haymakers at the Hawkeyes, I think, especially having that bye week. They've got multiple weeks of film on the Hawks, but overall, I'll, I'll be surprised if Iowa can't find a way to, to score points to light up the scoreboard a little bit. If it's a slugfest, I don't know that Iowa State wins a slugfest against Iowa. If it's a, a bit of a shootout, then that's something where if Iowa State can really find a way to get their offense rolling a bit, that gives them the best opportunity. They do have a quarterback who's regarded pretty well in Brock Purdy by NFL you know, draft prognosticators, so we'll see whether or not he having a bye week and a week off, if he can kind of 
figure out how to set the protections to avoid A.J. Epinesa as much as possible. But it, it's a game that I, I think Iowa State's going to fight as hard as they can. It's going to come down to the fourth quarter. I think Iowa's going to pull it out, though. He's Anthony Heron. He's Mr. Pac-12 Network, Mr. Hawkeye, Mr. Big Ten Network on the Sirius XM station as well. You hear him each and every morning there with Jason Goff, and we appreciate his time. Good catching up there, Big Ant. Hopefully see you soon. Hey, fun stuff with Anthony Heron there. Big Ant Heron on Twitter is where you can follow all of his work, whether he's working for uh, Sirius XM's Big Ten channel or if he's working for the Pac-12 network. He's usually doing a game damn near each and every weekend out west, so you can follow all of his work there. If it's a bad slate of games like this week tends to be, and Pete and I are going to try to put together as big a team parlay, money line parlay, to try to walk away with some bucks, there's a story behind this and why we're doing that this week here coming up. But if you want a little action for the games you're watching, would you rather donate to a great cause than to your bookie? I think you would, right? If so, check out scoresplit.com. At Scoresplit, you can join a square pool or strip card for whatever game you're watching, all while benefiting your favorite local or national nonprofit group. Here's how it works. You pick a square, and if the score matches up, you split the pot with the thankful organization. Easy as that. Here's the best part. Sign up at ScoreSplit using promo code CFN, and they'll get you set up with $10 and get the fun started that way. Visit ScoreSplit.com or download the ScoreSplit app from the App Store or Google Play today. ScoreSplit, you can't win if you don't play. This slate of games, if we're previewing Iowa, Iowa State that in-depth, I think Pete Futek would agree with me. Probably not the best week of games for college football. You dog the Hawk Trophy game. It's yeah, there's nothing out it's there. It's not this was bad. Supposed, it's just not supposed to be your marquee event. This was supposed to be Syracuse Clemson week, where we, and it still might be. Like we're we're everyone's assuming that this is going to be an absolute blowout, which I actually think it will be after what Maryland did to the Orange. But you you never know. They're at home. They I think they have a sellout for the first time in like 50 years or something. They 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 could show up against the Tigers. Okay, so should they be on upset alert? I know Syracuse. No. Syracuse took, oh, I guess that answers that question. <laughs> Syracuse took them to the final seconds a year ago down in Death Valley. They've won against this Clemson team during its heyday here. No chance whatsoever with the with the Carrier Dome rocking. Well, the, the concern is that will Trevor Lawrence survive? The last two years, they, they won two years ago because they, they banged up Kelly Bryant. Last year, they knocked out the right after Kelly Bryant transfers or decided he was going to transfer. It was the Trevor Lawrence show, and he got concussed. It was the Chase Bryce show for a while there. That's where Travis Etienne went off. Uh, so as long as Trevor Lawrence plays a full game, they should be fine. But with that pass rush that that didn't really do enough against Maryland and is going to ramp it up, they've got the defensive ends to give uh, uh, them a whole bunch of problems. So, so hopefully they don't. Nothing bad happens to Mr. Lawrence there. Yeah, it'd be bad for college football, be bad for the Clemson Tigers, and be bad for bad the for Miami Dolphins two years though. Yeah, two years now too. right, because they are god awful, and I don't think they're going to win a game the next two years. Okay, so we're going to be on, I guess, upset alert. We're going to help you fill out your 12-team money line parlay. Explain why it's a 12-team. Explain what happened to you last week. Okay, so I like to do this from time to time. Of Sometimes on either Friday or Saturday, I'll be sitting looking at lines, and what I like to do is just, all right, I'm going to put 10 bucks on 12 teams that I think are guaranteed to win and see what kind of odds and what kind of return on investment I can get. So I put $10 down on 12 different teams, 
and had a return of investment potentially being like on the $10 bet, I think it was like $77 roughly, uh, maybe give or take a couple of bucks there. But uh, it's not, not, not going to make me rich, but it's not going to, okay, if I'm going to use 10 bucks on it, might as well do it if there's some of these games that are dogs. What happened was I was great all day. Clemson won easily. Ohio State won easily. Iowa the same. Mississippi State, Auburn, Kentucky, nobody really tested. Michigan State um, earlier in the on Friday night, I had put in Boise State on that, Wake Forest as well. I was sitting pretty. All I needed was the number nine Washington Huskies to not embarrass themselves at home, and that was too much to do against the Cal team. I could have so told you that. Did you ask one me? One o'clock no, in the morning, I, I lost that damn bet. No, I yeah, didn't ha- ask you. And actually, I- the funny part about it is that they none of the pollsters saw it because everyone ranked uh, Washington still they in the top twenty-five. Thirteen. Or whatever the heck it was. Yeah, what what are you watching? Like the Pac-12, I get that it's not that good, but man, it does get the uh, does get a lot of the East Coast people that don't watch a second of it. Yeah, and well, when it ends at four thirty in the morning East Coast time, that's kind of a problem. Okay, that's only the Hawaii game. It's the other no, that ones. Was, that was the game. There was the Washington game was delayed by three hours, so it didn't end. Literally, it didn't end. I don't think until maybe four fifteen on the East Coast. So oh, yeah, nobody actually watched it, even though it was a huge moment because that was a killer for the Pac-12 because now Washington's effectively out of the, the college football playoff race. Yeah, so if someone's gonna do it, someone's gonna represent it. It's uh, USC or Utah's. Pretty much the Pac-12's chances, but yeah. So that's how that happened. Was in the middle of the night, is how I lost that. All right. So fire out my 12 teams. What are we doing? Here? Okay. It starts on Friday night. Boston College welcomes Kansas University to what, win easy to Chestnut so you're, Hill. You just care about the win, right? Just care about the win here. And Done. these are roughly like 20 point spreads or underneath, because usually you can't find a money line on anything more than that. Fine, okay. We're, that's, a, that's, a, that's a layup. Boston absolutely beating Kansas. Okay. Then on Saturday, Ohio State, Indiana lines 14 and a half uh, at Indiana. Yeah, Indiana is dangerous. I'm a little leery of them. I'll say yes, of course, Ohio State, but that's not a guarantee. I, Indiana's playing all right. Indiana's also played teams very closely over the last few years. They gave the scare to Michigan, gave a scare to Penn State, if I remember correctly, gave a scare to Ohio State a few yeah, years for a back. While. Yeah, it's it's just been one of those of like, are they finally going to do it? The answer ultimately no, but uh, they at least make games okay, interesting. Okay, all right, I, I guess. Go, all right, move on. But I'm not happy about this one. Okay, how about Cal and North Texas? Those same Golden Bears that uh, embarrassed me in the middle of the night this past week. <sighs> Any upset watch with the Bears and the yeah, Green Yeah, because even though North Texas got bombed on by SMU last week, they've got an offense and Cal doesn't. So maybe Cal gets hot or North Texas gets hot early. Yeah, okay, fine. Go Cal. Go Cal on that and fine with that one? Yeah, fine. Okay, Louisville came out guns a-blazing on Monday night against the Notre Dame and then... Wheels came off as the second quarter, and things rolled on. They're an eight-and-a-half-point favorite over Western Kentucky should the cards be on upset watch at home. Yeah, Western Kentucky screwed everything up. They, they, they were the only FBS team to lose to an FCS team in week one, and they come back and shocked Florida International. It, it, Butch Davis, that team's way that, that team's better than that. They didn't play well, but Western Kentucky might have found something. But they're not going to beat Louisville. So you're fine. Louisville, I'm sorry. That was, that Louisville's fine. Louisville's fine. Louisville's easy there. Okay, Nebraska and NIU. Nebraska, you called it last week that they'd lose to Colorado. Am I Ugh. fine with them? They're a 14.5-point favorite against Can you NIU. find something else? That, I, I, no, 
North, I'm not, I'm not hot on Nebraska still. Northern Illinois gave Utah a whole hell of a lot of problems last week. I, I think Nebraska wins, but that if, if it's an upset, I, that's not that crazy. Okay, I, th- that's noted. I mean, Nebraska's a team that lost Detroit at home last year, and I use been a respectable program. Uh, that's in the find something else category for they me. Lose to Nebraska, or, uh, to, did Nebraska lose to NIU at some point in the last couple of years? I feel like I they cr- did. Yes, I, I feel like like three or four years ago that they right did. Last year. Uh, was it as early as last year? I thought it was a couple of years previous to that. Whichever the case, it was bad. I'm just looking I here. Myself Northern that, Illinois, okay, yes, 2017, the four and eight North, uh, the four and eight Nebraska Cornhuskers that they'd end up lost 21-17 at home as an 11 point favorite against NIU. Yeah, so in other words, I'm scared of this game. Okay, scared of that one. I'll circle that and find something else to replace it with. Um, Virginia, a seven and a half point favorite against uh, your Florida State Seminoles. Oof. At home. No, no, stay away. Because I, I still believe in Florida State. I, the, if they can put, if they can just hydrate at the half, if they can figure out how not to bonk in the second half, they, they, that first half team has been great the last two weeks. They put it together a full game. They beat Virginia. Okay, it's even if it's at Virginia. Yeah. Okay, so that's two of them that I'm going to have to circle and find something else to uh, risk my money on. Uh, USC. Fresh off of a big win over Stanford, they hop on the road and go to BYU. Always a strange place to play. The Trojans, uh, a four-and-a-half-point favorite. How safe is that? The, the problem is it's not because BYU is that kind of funky team. I know, these, you know Tennessee's not that great, but BYU's got a defense. They could bother the new great Keaton Slovis. They could they, go with USC. Screw I, I'm, I'm tired of being wishy-washy on this. Go with USC. They'll okay. BYU. Feel good about USC at least. How about No, North- I don't feel good about them. Northwestern at home historically has had trouble – out of conference wise, this week they welcome UNLV, a 19 and a half point favorite. Yes, done, done. UNLV was awful last week against Arkansas State. If Northwestern doesn't win this one, then we don't deserve to win a 12 team parlay. Okay, yeah. Well, it's it's one of those Northwestern I always get scared of, especially after the Akron's of the world go into Ryan Field and beat them. <laughs> Oklahoma State. I don't like doing it with road teams, but uh, they're a 13 and a half point favorite at Tulsa. Your thoughts on the on the Cowboys? Yeah, but that's there. not really the road. That's like next door. I think they're that's like true. five miles apart. So go for it. You're fine. Okay, so that part's fine then. Uh, Miss. Um, Michigan State team we talked about a little bit earlier on this evening. They found an offense, and they find Herm Edwards in Arizona State this week. And East Lansing, a 12-and-a-half-point favorite, is MSU. How safe are they? Safe. At least if Arizona State plays like they did over the last two weeks, they, they've been awful. They were miserable last week. Uh, I, I'm blanking. I think it was Northern Arizona. It might, it might have been worse than that. Northern Colorado. It was somebody who they had. It was Sacramento State. I can't, I'm can't. i missing the FCS team, but it took them three quarters to actually wake up and have a shot at that. So go Michigan State. Okay. Um, the interstate rivalry that's been renewed here in recent years, Penn State hosting Pitt, a 17-and-a-half point line on that one. Penn State's offense came out in the second half against Buffalo and lit up the scoreboard. I think this is a two-foot putt. I don't think Penn State has any worry whatsoever. Tell me I'm wrong or tell me I'm correct. Pitt's got no offense. There's not enough of a pass rush coming from Penn State so far, but that offense should be fine. There's nothing happening offensively, so you're fine. 
Okay, nothing happening there offensively. Um, the only other ones that I can find for you here, I was trying to go with 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 the Alabama thing, but 25.5 points, I'm not going to find a money line that gives me that. Florida going to Kentucky, though. Kentucky just lost their quarterback for the season. Is Florida at all at risk going on the road to Lexington? They lost it last year. If this was last year at this time, i say you know put the house on it because they hadn't lost for 35 years in this thing. So Florida's better. They should be Kentucky. So yeah, go back with it. I they they lose Terry Wilson. They, it's they're in trouble. So go with Florida. Okay. So it was going to be a twelve teamer, and we have it down to ten because he told me strictly stay away from Virginia, stay away from Nebraska. I can find two other teams. I yeah, think that go, I can you know what? Now I say forget it. Go, that's not going to get you. You're not going to win anything off this. Go with Nebraska. They're beating Northern Illinois. Okay. All right, I'll piece that part together. I'll take my chances with Virginia, hoping that uh, Florida State doesn't score too early or too often on them, and I'll make myself real rich over this next weekend. Woo-hoo! That's what you have to do. Week Treasure three, bath. a dud of games. Not that not, not that many great games in this one, so we'll have to take advantage of what we have and hopefully be profitable. He's Pete Futek. I'm Nick Shepkowski. After this, we, uh, we talk our Power Five and some of the storylines that aren't being discussed quite on the national scale at the level we think they deserve. Time now for our weekly segment. It's how we wrap up each and every show each and every week it's our power five five of the stories or five of the games or a combination of both that just aren't being discussed enough we start alphabetically and that means the ACC Mac Brown has already matched North Carolina to their win total a year ago after a win over Miami what's the ceiling for this Tar Heels program in 2019 Going to a bowl game, I mean, they're not going to win the ACC championship in the league with that Clemson team. They're not even going to get to They could get to the ACC championship game. They, they've, they're they just good enough in the Coastal there to uh, to pull that off. But uh, they don't obviously win it because, again, I don't think they're beating Clemson. But they're playing well. Last year they lost every close game possible, and now they've won two of them. So uh, you beat South Carolina. You beat Miami. Things are going all right for this group so far. That's a team that's playing with confidence. They got the quarterback in Sam Howell, and they got a lot of talent to get done i was very surprised by it i made fun of the mac brown hiring i made fun of the less miles i still one do too. it's just they do seem like a different team and they got a nice little stable of running backs there too it doesn't that, it doesn't take away from the fact that they they're not shooting for the stars like it, it's not the hire that you're not getting the next Dabo sweeney you're not getting the next kirby smart you know it's it, that's the issue with it even though he is a good short-term solution it's again it's not the shot you're taking to say something special is going to happen under him Okay. Yeah, I don't think anything special is, but it's obviously a change for that program and a little bit more consistency and getting to Bulls, I guess, is where they're going here. We move on to the Big Ten. Jonathan Taylor has 40 touches so far this year, Pete. He has eight touchdowns. Tell me why he's not, if it was given out now, and I know it's not, why he's not the Heisman frontrunner. Jalen Hurts is probably up there just because he's been absolutely unbelievable. Jalen Hurts is, in two games has put on this unbelievable show. He's he's got like a 252 something quarterback rating, which is beyond all time amazing. Uh, Joe Burrow, because of what he did on the big stage against Texas, is right there. Uh, I, I, that's guy Justin Fields has been brilliant so far, uh, and plus Jonathan Taylor's done it against U, U, uh, South Florida and Central Michigan. So he. Never Next week, 
When he goes against Michigan, that's going to be his moment. If he rocks and Wisconsin wins that game, now we're really talking about a Heisman campaign being ramped up. Yeah, he's awesome. Like He is as fun a player as there is in college football for me to watch. I'm very curious how he does against Michigan after that. Well, now he stopped fumbling. Now he, he doesn't have the fumbles of the goal line so far this year, and he's catching it a little bit more, and so he's become a more complete player. And that, that was his problem the past when it comes to the Heisman is he didn't have the touchdowns because he couldn't make plays at the goal line because he kept putting the ball down, and now he's not doing it. Yeah, that helps solve a lot of, of, of that problem. I also like ETN from Clemson. I saw he's at 25-1 to 1 today, and I had to talk myself out of putting down a bet. I get that there's because a Because there are only big games left. He, he doesn't, but he's also, he's the guy averages damn 8.5 yards to carry every time they give him the ball. And you he's going to be on a team that that's unbeaten. There's a, difference, there's a difference between great and being a Heisman caliber caliber which Heisman you need the the combination of stats and big moments and he got shut down by Texas Mm A&M and that was the one big game that he's going to play this year and we're just not going to see him do much again so he's it's he could be a finalist he could be in the mix but to win it it's way too hard for when you don't have the stats and when you've got sunshine a quarterback who's going to take away half his uh, uh, Heisman votes as well that's right because I already awarded uh, Trevor Lawrence the Heisman for this year uh, months ago I think on this very podcast is what we did. Uh, we'll go out of the Power Five conferences to bring up a big game this week in terms of what UCF will say their resume consists of and, and how they deserve to be in the college football playoff a couple of months from now, potentially. UCF and Stanford, what do we need to know about this contest? How important of a game is this for a UCF squad that says and always claims that it gets no respect? Well, obviously it's everything because this is finally the game where they can. They've been missing this over the last few years. They missed games against Power Five programs because of hurricanes over the last two seasons. Uh, beating Pitt's been all right, so but it's not been enough. So this is it. This is where you get a, a team that if you rock Stanford, all of a sudden it's like okay, yeah, that's a real team from a Power Five conference, and now that's at least something to go off of that UCF can say, yeah, we're beating. We can hang with these teams. The key to this game is who's going to be their quarterback. Because Daryl Mack's going to be healthy again. He's supposed to be back in the mix. Brandon Wimbush is supposed to be okay enough to be able to play. And the kid who started last week, Dylan Gabriel, is good too. So you got three quarterbacks, and now you got to figure out which one they want to go with. That part of it, I'm also curious. I guess I just look at this part, and it's like, what can UCF do? Say them and Boise State are undefeated at the end of the year, and somehow, miraculously, magically, there is a spot in them in the college football playoff. Do I expect it? No, but I'm throwing a crazy what if with you or at you. What does UCF have that Boise State wouldn't? And then conversely, what would Boise State's argument be over UCF? So the problem is for UCF is they've got to win this thing impressively. they got to beat Stanford well. they got to go to Pitt and beat Pitt. And they're going to have just a little bit more than Boise State will have, even though uh, they had that nice win at Florida State. That might not be enough. And they still got to beat Houston. they still got to beat Memphis. They might have a little bit there. And even though what they do in 2019 is all that matters, of course the committee members are going to think about 2018, 2017, the self-proclaimed national champions and all that. Uh, I, I, if UCF is right there and they're undefeated again, it's going to be hard not to give them uh, at least more of a look. And again, as we said before, if you're going off resumes, there's a shot that at the very least, while it would never happen, then they wouldn't get put in over Clemson, their resume might end up being better than Clemson's at the end of the day when it comes to who beats more ranked teams. And then finally, I think there's a fun game this weekend uh, happening in the Midwest. 
Purdue hosting TCU. TCU, a team that was beat up last year, and okay, you say their name, and a lot of people, their first thoughts, oh, that Cheez-It Bowl, they can't be any good going into 2019. Purdue, they lost in Nevada week one. They can't be any damn good. Purdue's throwing the ball all over the yard last week against Vanderbilt. I get it, Vanderbilt's nothing special. TCU, I know it's a team that you were fairly high on in terms of what they can do in the Big 12. How do you kind of handicap this one that in a week of really nothing special being out there matchup-wise, I find myself looking to quite a bit. They should be the third best team in the Big 12. Oklahoma State's making that claim, but if TCU TCU and Michigan State are kind of in the same boat, both have amazing defenses. Can they get anything out of the offense? The answer to Michigan State so far has been yes. For TCU, it's been a little eh. We don't know yet, Uh, but the problem is Purdue, Elijah Sindelier does not look like he's going to play, or at least uh, he's very iffy right now with a concussion. Uh, Jack Plummer, who is a highly ranked recruit from a couple years ago, would get the call. Somehow, Jack Plummer, not related to Jake Plummer, which doesn't make any sense, uh, but it would be a shootout if you can get Purdue and Rondale Moore going right away, and TCU's going to have to prove that, okay, they got enough of an offense to keep up. That's Pete Futek. I'm Nick Shepkowski. It's the Power Five. That's how we close each and every one of these shows on the College Football News Podcast. If you haven't already and you're on iTunes, hit that little button that says subscribe up there in the corner. If you haven't done so already, leave a rating, leave a review, and maybe most importantly... As long as it's a good one. Yeah, as long as it's a good one. Yeah, don't, don't, don't talk too much smack about us. Uh, there's plenty of that to go around if you want, but uh, yeah, just leave it somewhere else instead of there. But no, share it with a friend as well. We enjoy doing this each and every week. Big thank you to Anthony Heron as well, uh, Mr. Hawkeye, going full Hawkeye mode on us earlier today. For Pete Futek, I'm Nick Shepkowski. We'll talk again next week on the College Football News Podcast.